scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward Jesus was starving. The devil said to him, Since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, It is written, People won't live only by bread. Next, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, It's been said, Don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give thanks for your spirit that saturates our world and fills our lives. And we pray that we will experience your spirit this morning, and through that spirit, we will hear your word for us. Amen. So today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, which is a six-week-long church season that prepares us for Easter. But Lent is... Uh, Lent doesn't, like, ramp up the joy just a little bit more every week as we look forward to that glorious Easter morning. Lent instead goes the other direction, preparing us for the death of Jesus with somber reflection and repentance and fasting. So, then it fits that Every Lent, on the first Sunday, we look at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. You are probably familiar with the story, not only because you just heard it. The, the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness where he doesn't eat for 40 days and is tempted by the devil. And, you know, I, I have the opportunity to preach on this every year, and, you know, actually this morning we're both doing communion and a sort of liturgical art project in our confession. So today I want to just take a, a little time to have a, a briefer reflection on the devil. Because after all, this is the one time that the devil speaks. And when we hear about, when we hear the word devil, what do we think of? I know what I think of. But it, it turns out that this isn't based entirely on the biblical accounts. Uh, 
the devil and or devil and Satan are actually just two words that refer, Greek words that refer to the, the Jewish idea of Satan or Satan. This evil being pops up throughout the Bible in different forms. In the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, Satan is a fallen angel or an angel that does evil. Once we get to the New Testament, we see some different kinds of descriptions, like the one in Revelation, where Satan takes the form of a red dragon, and other times Satan is more like a spirit who doesn't have a body. But I think what's the most important to know is that the word Satan in Hebrew, it really means the adversary or the accuser. Satan is the, the evil that opposes God, that is the opposite of love, and it, it does that by accusing us. And, and most of Christian tradition has believed that the accuser takes the bodily form of a devil named Satan. But a number of, of my favorite biblical scholars have, have reflected on this and believe that Satan is more like the voice in our head that accuses us that we are not enough. The, the voice that reminds us how far we are from our ideal self. The voice that says, you are nothing like the person you described in your online dating profile. <laughs> your, your Instagram has, has no actual correlation with your life. And once people find out the real you, no one will like you. And I find that, that idea really insightful, in part because I've never been that, that threatened by the, by the idea of an otherworldly being who wants to do me harm, or wants to do the world harm. And, and this is just personally, uh, that it feels to me like that externalizes evil. It means someone else is responsible for the state of the world and actually, I'm kind of fighting the bad guy. But if the devil is in my head, that's a whole nother story. That, the devil in my head, feeds on my insecurities, accusing me of being the same awkward, unreliable, undisciplined class clown who barely passed middle school. And that voice in my head drives me to be ambitious and controlling as I try to prove my accuser wrong. And that is the devil that tempts me. And that's, that's just me. I think it's fine to interpret the devil as either way, as an actual evil being or as the voice of the accuser that lives inside of us or both, actually, both fit in the story. Because as we read this, it, it did sound like the devil's an actual being. And the way that the devil acts is, is a personification of insecurity. See, the devil does this thing. He inserts, he inserts the word if into the mind of Jesus. Satan says, if you are the Son of God, turn stones into bread. 
if you worship me, I'll give you the glory and authority of the world. If you put God to the test, everyone will follow you. And what's so interesting about this is that, is that the devil picks three things that Jesus will end up doing. Jesus will perform a miracle of creating bread out of nothing. Jesus will have the glory and the authority of the world. And Jesus will put God to the test, not in like throwing himself off a cliff, but Jesus will allow himself to be arrested and hung on a cross, trusting that God has a plan for life. I mean, the actions themselves are pretty similar, but there's a big difference. That word, if. If you do this, then you'll be loved. Satan takes the power of God and tries to make it conditional and transactional. I, I think the best way to, to describe how this happens in our lives today is, I'm sorry, like the power of if, is, is what happens during confession. The accuser inserts an if into the prayers of confession that can turn forgiveness into a transaction that goes like this. We sinned, and now God is angry with us. And it is only if we confess and are truly sorry that we will be forgiven and we will regain God's love. And of course, the implication of that is that God doesn't love me as I am. God only really loves the ideal version of myself, the version that, that doesn't screw up, that version that I can never quite achieve. But this is, is not true. As uh, the Lutheran pastor, Nadia Bowles-Weber says, the version of you who God loves the version of you God is in a relationship with is actually you. God isn't waiting for you to be thinner or heterosexual or married or celibate or more ladylike or more spiritual or less of an alcoholic in order to love you. The good news of the gospel is that you are loved and accepted for who you truly are. So when we confess, there is no if. Confession is, is not a, a, a kind of transaction. Confession and repentance is a process of transformation. And, and actually, the, this was pointed out to me years ago and, and sort of as a reminder, and I found it so powerful. And, and so as a reminder of this, our prayer of confession begins with the assurance that through Christ you're already forgiven. And that's because that enables us to, to be real and to bring our real self without any fear because we know we've been forgiven. Because we are loved, we will be transformed. It, it opens us up and gives us the assurance that prevents us from being afraid. And I think this, this bears out in our 
personal life as well as our spiritual life. The more that we, we actually believe that we're loved, the more we can grow and transform. Like, if, if I believe that I am only loved, if, if I live like the ideal version of myself, then my shame will cause me to, to hide my flaws from the world around me and, frankly, hide them from myself, repress them, get them away from me because I can't bear the sight of them. And then once I do that, how can I grow? And, and the reality is that I'll never be that ideal version of myself. That is just a projection of my desires. And if I live my life believing that I will only be loved if I become that person, I'll just be driven to shame and depression. But when I, when I can be secure in the fact that I am loved and accepted, then I can be honest with the world and with myself about where I'm failing and what I need to do to grow. And that... That, to me, helps me understand Lent better. Because Lent is not, the point of Lent is not to just feel bad about yourself for a month and a half before Easter, to create like a really good contrast. Lent is all about growth. During Lent, we take on disciplines and practices that, that remove the clutter from our lives. I mean, we probably, you maybe hear about fasting, and, and that looks different. I mean, but again, it's, it's not just like fasting or giving things, things up for the sake of doing something. Like, sometimes we abstain from things. Maybe we abstain from our nightly ritual of having a drink and watching trash TV. Not saying anybody in this room <laughs> or anyone standing at this pulpit <laughs> does that, you know, to, to take a break from the stress of life. But the reason that we give up things, like having a drink and trash TV, the reason we give that up in Lent is that it's an invitation to remove whatever it is that we use to escape from the stress of life so we can sit with it and be a little bit more aware of what it is that we're running from. Or some of us in Lent do something a little different. Or also, we, we add something, like daily prayer or reading, or something we, we know can help us focus on what really matters. And, and everyone has different practices or disciplines or fasts based on what's happening in their lives. But the, we, the intent is that we use this season to turn towards God. And that's also why repentance is central to Lent. The, the word repent in Hebrew seem, simply means to turn around. Actually, well, I'll, I'll share this briefly. I've probably said it before. I went to, uh, to Whitworth, which is a, there's a Christian school, so a lot of my friends were Christians, and I used to ski a lot. And I remember there was a, a trick where you'd go off a big jump and you'd just turn 180 real slowly as you flew through the air, and they all called it a repent, because that's just what the word means. It just literally means to turn around. But in the religious sense, it also means to turn towards a more holy and sacred path. Used in the Bible, 
Repentance is always turning towards God. And that's what we do during Lent. We're turning from the voice of the accuser and turning towards our Creator who loves us. So this Lenten season, we are going to do a liturgical project. We actually started this two years ago and then put it on hold one week into Lent when COVID hit. So we're, we're going to do this again, and I'm going to take us through it. As a part of our prayer of repentance, or our prayer of turning, we are going to invite you to come forward and, and take a piece of pottery and write something you need to turn from. Maybe that's a habit, or a belief, or a behavior. I mean, maybe we need to, to turn from something we've been clinging to turn from something that holds our attention or, or sort of like dominates our thoughts and our actions. Or maybe we need to turn from a belief about ourself, uh, turn from a lie that we tell about ourself that, that keeps us feeling small and afraid and closed off. Maybe we need to turn from a belief that diminishes the image of God that dwells deep within us. Or maybe we just need to turn from something we know is wrong, something that's easy to identify as sin. I'm guessing we all have a few of those as well. So we're going to give you a little time to, to think of something you want to turn from, a habit, a behavior, a belief, something that needs to be broken. Then we're going to invite you to write that on a piece of pottery, and then you're going to break it with a hammer. We will collect these, and by the end of Lent, we'll create a mosaic from the shards of our repentance. Born of our brokenness, we'll seek to find beauty. And today, we're just going to go right into this, into our prayer of, of turning. But before we do, we'll hear the assurance of forgiveness to remind us that even before we confess our sins, we've been forgiven. We carry the promise that, that even the things about ourselves that disgust us the most, even those parts are loved and forgiven by God. So we confess not to avoid punishment or to get something in return, we confess so we can bring our whole self to the one who loves every part of us. So friends, hear now our God who is faithful and just has mercy on us. Our sins have been forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ who called us beloved by the Lord Most High. Thanks be to God. So now that you've heard the assurance of, of pardon or assurance of forgiveness, I ask you if you will join me in our prayer of confession or our prayer of turning. And how we'll do this is, is I'm going to pray a line and then we'll have just a moment or two for silence and personal confession. So will you join me? Now let us confess how we've turned from our God and our source of life.
Holy Spirit, my heart wanders. As quickly as I see you, I become untethered, floating away, lost in the noise of this world. So we confess how we've let the busyness of our lives distract us from your presence all around us. Holy Spirit, my heart wanders. I miss you in small beauty and great pain. I miss you in the faces of my neighbors and in the cries of the crucified all around me. So now we confess our numbness to the suffering of the world around us. Holy Spirit, my heart wanders. I turn away from you and I turn to myself. The urgency of our desires overcome us and the needs of everyone else fade away. So now we confess how we put our own needs and desires above others. Holy Spirit, my heart wanders and I am so sorry. If I could plant roots, I would want to be rooted in you. So we now take a moment. Will you be able to think of something you want to turn from? A habit, a behavior, a belief, something that needs to be broken. And then when you're ready, come forward, and on these first inside tables, you can write, grab a piece of pottery and write what needs to be written. If you need a moment longer, you can sit in the first row. Then take your piece of pottery to the outside tables and, and wrap it in a cloth, and then set that cloth, cloth on a piece of wood, grab a hammer, and break what needs to be broken. When you're done, Put the shards of what has been broken into the basket. Now, friends, let us turn to God. 